Today from the Global Lane, stalemate in Ukraine. Will Putin resort to biological warfare? Where someone coughs somewhere and all of a sudden people start dying of smallpox and Putin says, gee, it's a shame you didn't vaccinate your people like we vaccinated ours. Abortion battles and allegations that the U.S. Supreme Court is racist. The charge of racism uh, because of tough abortion laws is false. Actually, adoption rates in this country are skyrocketing, and particularly, by the way, for black children. Male Auburn University students respond to the question, what is a man? A lot of people would say, all you have to do is identify as a man, but you're a man. What do you think about that? And it's all right here on the Global Lane. U.S. intelligence officials say the Ukraine war is at a stalemate. They believe now, three months in, Russia is preparing for a much longer and brutal conventional war. So what is the possibility that a fatigued Russian President Vladimir Putin, in an act of desperation to win, may resort to unleashing deadly chemical, biological, or nuclear weapons? Well, joining us is John O'Neill. He's author of the new book, The Dancer and the Devil, Stalin, Pavlova, and the Road to the Great Pandemic. John, before we get into your book, how likely is it, in your opinion, that Putin may use weapons of mass destruction in Ukraine? I think it's, uh, uh, sadly, a real possibility. I don't see Putin using nuclear weapons because they're traceable. And uh, so it's a two-way street between, say, Leningrad and London, um, St. Petersburg and London. I, what I think the great threat is the threat of the use of biological warfare, where someone coughs somewhere and all of a sudden people start dying of smallpox and Putin says, gee, it's a shame you didn't vaccinate your people like we vaccinated ours, or the use of agricultural bioweapons uh, like African swine virus and all that Putin has stored. Putin has the greatest uh, storehouse and storepiles of biological weapons on earth um, at, at a place called Saratov, uh, east of uh, Moscow and, and in the Urals at a place called the Kottenberg. And uh, so he's got a huge bioweapons program. He's bragged about it in presidential debates. Uh, he calls them his special weapons. And I think they present a tremendous threat if the war moves on into stalemate. Well, I know you write in your book that the communists have this fascination, perhaps even a uh, proclivity to use bioweapons. You write about how Stalin poisoned dancer Anna Pavlova in Paris in 1931. Also, you tell of the pneumonic plague in 1939 and the Kiev anthrax leak of 1972. So tell us more about that. How certain are you that Russia was responsible for those? It is really amazing uh, how it actually started. It actually started with Stalin's persecution of the Christians in uh, Moscow and elsewhere in the Soviet Union in 1921. He actually uh, ordered all the churches in the Soviet Union to turn over all their chalices, to strip their dead, and turn it all over. They then took 12 churchmen in the Orthodox Church and sentenced them to death. When they led them out into the square in Moscow, they began singing. It was close to Easter. Jesus Christ is risen today. And the crowd started singing, truly he is risen. And there was a huge riot. And so they knew then that they couldn't simply kill people publicly. The great uh, dancer, Anna Pavlova, uh, leaves Paris in 1931 after Stalin keeps telling her to come back and threatens uh, her if she doesn't come back to, Rus to Russia. She climbs on a train and she says, I was poisoned in Paris. Stalin had a huge poison ring operating in Paris called the Yasha Gang. 
from moving from little biological weapons that were designed to kill individual peoples at a place called Siratov. He moved into massive bioweapons projects. I know Russia's made accusations about U.S. funded and created bioweapons labs in Ukraine. Might that just be Russian disinformation to deflect attention from what Russia is doing? Or is there some evidence and truth behind that accusation? Classic uh, false flag claim. In 1991, when the Soviet, the Soviet Union had a huge biowar project at Kiev, it also leaked anthrax. It also killed some people in 1972. In 1991, the Soviet Union fell apart, and the United States came in and gave aid to both Russia and to the Ukraine to wipe out their bio-war labs. Understand, it's not an easy thing. A bio-war lab, when you have the only smallpox on Earth, the only diseases, eliminating it is, is not an easy thing. And in the Ukraine, they used the money to actually get rid of their bio-war labs. In the Soviet Union, they pretended to use the money, but by 2000, we learned that instead of using the money to get rid of it, they were using the money to enhance their biowar labs under Putin. They have terrible diseases that they've weaponized. They spend, the Russian army spends one day out of every five in biosuits uh, practicing for biowar. Uh, we don't have any bioweapons. Nobody except the Russians, the Chinese, and the North Koreans, maybe the Iranians have them. Well, so let's let's you... talk about the let's talk about the Chinese now. More recently, the communist Chinese and that COVID-19 leak from Wuhan, you write that President Xi's quote, conduct in producing and then concealing the nature and origin of the COVID-19 virus is not a small infraction because it's killed more Americans than died in the Civil War or other American wars combined. So China's unlikely to be held accountable here. Why? Or will they eventually pay a price? There are 50, uh, almost 15 million people now have died of COVID-19. Uh, in the United States, somewhere around a million one have died, more than all the wars we've ever had. COVID-19 has never been found naturally in nature. It's a combination of two separate things. 96.2% of it comes from a horseshoe bat located 1,100 miles from Wuhan in a cave in the Himalayas. According to articles... Uh, back in 2015 and thereabouts, that bat was brought in place in the Wuhan lab, the, viro the normal virology lab in Wuhan in 2015. Somebody added 3.2% to that virus to make it incredibly, uh, uh, incredible, you know, communicable, wildly communicable. They added a, a hook to it. The combination of the hook and the 96.2 have never been found anywhere naturally in the whole world. When it broke out in Wuhan, the doctor who discovered it was charged with revealing state secrets. He supposedly died of the COVID-19 virus shortly thereafter, even though the COVID-19 virus kills only one and a half percent of the people his age. No Dr. Fossey's ever went to Wuhan. Immediately, Wuhan was shut down by the Chinese Biowar Command. That's who moved into Wuhan in, in 2019. The Chinese lied consistently about, about where it came from. If we knew the origin of it, we could have saved a lot of people's lives. We could treat it a lot better. Uh, the COVID-19 virus is the first man-made virus that man has ever faced. It's mutated over and over and over again. Our vaccines are effective a little bit, 
but not nearly like the vaccines we're used to for other things. And partly because it's a creation we don't even to this day wholly understand. We have enough trouble with all the horrible diseases we have. Why on earth would we be creating or, or preserving other diseases to, to kill people? And it's a, it's a violation of international law. In 1972, all the nations in the world agreed to ban these, but, but it hasn't happened that way in China, Russia, and, and North Korea. Okay, and we're likely to have more to come. The book is The Dancer and the <laughs> Devil, Stalin, Pavlova, and the Road to the Great Pandemic. John O'Neill, fascinating. Thank you so much for being with us. I urge people to read the, the Dancer and the Devil for the stories also of the wonderful people that these communists have uh, killed off, many of them wonderful Christian people like Wang Yi and others. So um, thank you much for having me on your show. I enjoyed it very, very much. Thank you, John. Abortion battles front and center. The leak of the Supreme Court draft decision on abortion has led to protests, a congressional vote, and hate crimes against churches and pro-life centers. A final court ruling is still maybe a month or more away. So are the events of the past week a harbinger of what may come later this summer? Here with more is Kenny Hsu. He's the president of Colorus United and author of the new book, An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. Kenny, thank you for being with us. So contrary to the belief of outraged pro-abortionists, a pro-life ruling from the court wouldn't really end abortion in America. It would send the lawmaking decision to the states and their representatives to decide. So your thoughts, what do you think is really going on here with this reaction we're seeing? Yeah, the decision, yeah, all the decision really says is that there is no constitutional right to an abortion, which is true. There is no constitutional right to an abortion. Abortion is never mentioned in the Constitution. Um, if anything, the Constitution mentions the protection of life as a critical issue, however you want to interpret that. But the point is, there's no reason why Roe v. Wade ever should have been passed in the first place. Because it had no bearing, it was not passed with a mandate of the people. Well, how about the reaction, though, Kenny? We're, we're seeing some hate crimes here against churches, pro-life uh, centers, and so forth. Is that orchestrated? What's behind all this? There was a big hate crime at a Wisconsin abortion clinic, not an abortion clinic, uh, in a, a Wisconsin pro-life group. Uh, there was arson and threatened arson uh, there that just happened a couple of days ago. And now you see all of these protests over Brett Kavanaugh's house um, that uh, <laughs> I saw one, uh, one, one commentator said, um, the, this level of protests would have been called domestic terrorism by Merrick Garland if it was on the other side. <laughs> yeah, I think Nancy Pelosi said, uh, really, the only thing that's changed is the court. But uh, really, the technology has changed to give us a look inside the womb to see that that is a baby, that is a life uh, with a heartbeat and so forth. So many abortion clinics are placed in low-income minority neighborhoods, Kenny. So while black women are only about 7% of the U.S. population, 40% of the abortions are performed on them and their babies. It's, it's almost like pregnancy and rising birth rates in minority communities are bad things. So what's your concern? Yeah, and I would like to talk about that, right? Because black, um, black babies are unfortunately aborted at five times the rate of white babies in this country. Um, and that has to do a lot with how... Um, 
Planned Parenthood systematically targets uh, the black community in order to get more abortions. By the way, when you get abortions, Planned Parenthood gets funding. They can get government funding. They get nonprofit funding. So they, they are incentivized, despite what they tell you, they are incentivized. And you know, with all this talk about equity right now in this country, it's just very sad that nobody seems to care about the fact that there are these massive disparities in abortion rates that disproportionately affect uh, vulnerable black Americans. Well, the left always argues that uh, one of the argument they have in, in supporting abortion is that laws restricting or banning abortion are discriminatory against minorities because many people of color cannot afford to travel to a pro-abortion state. Furthermore, they argue minorities are being forced to care for babies that they can ill afford. So what are your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that are no. Uh, First of all, you can't travel to another state. That doesn't make much sense. It seems like most people have access to a car these days. If not, they have access to public transportation, a bus. We spent a lot of money and a lot of our time as a country building an equal opportunity state. Uh, now the whole thing is about equal access. I think that's the new term among the left. It's called equal access, um, where they believe that you should have everybody should have access to an abortion. But this, 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 the play on words that you see there is that that's implying that abortion is a good thing. Most Americans do not believe abortion. How about younger? Thing. How about younger people, Kenny? You say you're from a younger generation. Do you think there's a trend going against uh, uh, abortion now from young people, more pro-life? I think people? there is, and the reason, and I'll tell you why, because normally, right, the younger generation would be more liberal than the older generation, but the younger generation is not moving. It's not changing, which shows that inherently there is a rational argument against abortion that younger people are, even younger people can understand and are prone to buying. And finally, uh, you're the president of Color Us United. You advocate a race-blind America. Should race have any role in this abortion debate, or is this more race-baiting designed to divide America? I think the charge of racism uh, because of abor tough abortion laws is false. And one of the reasons why is because actually, uh, adoption rates in this country are skyrocketing, and particularly, by the way, for black children. Actually, black children are actually disproportionately likely to be adopted in this country. They actually make up almost 30% of new adoptees. And by the way, for younger infants, the rate of people who want a adopted baby compared to the actual amount of adopted babies out there is about 20 to 1. So. What this shows is that this is an astoundingly colorblind country. Uh, Americans do want to adopt babies, and they don't care what color of their skin it is. They, they just care about the need. Um, and so I think that using this racism narrative to try to justify um, uh, lower abortion restrictions is, uh, is, is, is an insignificant argument. Okay, well, we'll see how all of this comes down and plays out. Kenny Shu, author of the book, An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. Thank you, Kenny, for your time. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you. What defines a man? Remember when Supreme Court Associate Justice-elect Katanji Brown-Jackson couldn't define a woman during her confirmation hearing? Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? 
not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. The, of the dictionary defines a woman as an adult female person and a man an adult male person. Unlike Associate Justice-elect Brown Jackson's attempt to define a woman, male students at Auburn University had no difficulties answering what is a man. Here to explain what he found is campus reform correspondent and student at Auburn University, Jaden Hurd. Jaden, thanks so much for being with us. So you did some polling. What did you find? So when I went out at Auburn University on behalf of Campus Reform, a project of Leadership Institute, to ask my fellow male students at Auburn University if they can define what a man is, they all were pretty, you know, very clear, you know, with, you know, they were very clear out on the matter of citing biology as well as character traits. And nearly all of them agreed that identity alone is not what makes up a man. In other words, how you feel doesn't determine your sex. Okay, Jaden, we're going to take a quick look at a sample of what you found. Someone with an X chromosome and a Y chromosome. A biological male. A biological human male. Courageous. Leads the pack. Strong. Independent. Someone you can rely on. An adult human male. I don't know why we're having this conversation. Historically speaking, nobody else had this debate. We've gotten really tolerant of a lot of things that really shouldn't be questionable. We're really progressive and we've kind of lost our way with traditional moral values. With the decline in Christianity, we see a lot of the decline of these traditional social norms. It says that we live in a fallen world. A lot of people would say all you have to do is identify as a man and you're a man. What do you think about that kind of strange i would say that's false i'm a christian so i would believe that god created us male and female and that gives us certain differences biological and social it's just how we're in decline that we just reject reality instead of living in the reality that god has given us Jaden, were, were you surprised what was your reaction i wasn't really surprised by that because my personal experience with men is that they know this whole conversation is silly but they are honestly too afraid to speak out about it because of the cancel culture and how society is right now. But I also was surprised because, you know, bouncing off that, you can get canceled nowadays for what you say just by defending, you know, what God created, you know, male and female. And so when they were so open about their uh, ideas and their views on that, it was surprising. But it also wasn't surprising because, you know, you're at Auburn University and the men here are, you know, they know. They know the conversation is silly. So, so you may have found something different, uh, maybe at, say, Berkeley or a northern school, Ivy League school. Why should this even be an issue, Jaden? Well, right now we're seeing an attack on masculinity, um, you know, honestly, an attack on God's creation as a whole. I mean, God made everything a certain way, but the left and, you know, Satan, you know, demons of confusion are saying men aren't men anymore. You know, personally, I feel like my value and identity as a man is to be a follower of Christ, you know, a leader and a protector of the most vulnerable. However, I feel like the left has their eyes lasered on dismantling that idea and attacking that identity. I mean, you're seeing Leah Thomas, you know, that new pen swimmer um, compete with, you know, women's sports. And it seems like they're trying to normalize these things that are not normal at all. So what has campus reform found elsewhere? Is this view only at Auburn or do most college uh, male college students feel the same way? Actually, campus reform has done a video um, on women giving uh, that answer. And mo most of them actually said, oh, if you identify as whatever you want, then that's what you are. You know, a good example, when I went to, um, well, when, when we had Alexa Schwartza go to Georgia Tech, and she asked about people identifying as a woman. And, you know, they all were like, 
well, yeah, I mean, if, if Leah Thomas feels that way, then that's what she is. Um, obviously, we would disagree. So there is a difference between the views of uh, men, uh, male college students, and women. Um, I would say so as a as a whole, yeah, I, I would say so. Even even at Auburn? At Auburn, I'm not too sure. I'm sure it may be a little different. Uh, if you were to ask women that question on at Auburn, I'm sure you would probably get some conservative answers a lot more than other universities, but I still think it would be that same way. I feel like they would come from an emotional standpoint, and they would probably uh, appeal to that identity argument. Okay, feelings and science. Jaden Hurd, thank you for taking the time to set us straight about the views of male college students at Auburn University. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. When is President Biden or Attorney General Garland going to order the FBI to move in to arrest protesters outside the homes of Supreme Court justices? Yes, Americans have the right to free speech, but not to coerce a sitting federal judge or justices into ruling the way the mob wants. It's a violation of federal law. The solution? Erect police-manned barricades on the streets where the conservative justices live. Only neighborhood residents would be allowed to pass through. We must act now to preserve our democracy and protect our Supreme Court justices and their families. Obama-appointed District Judge Esther Salas knows all too well where this can lead. She was the subject of an assassination attempt two years ago. A gunman posing as a delivery man came to her home and ended up killing her only son. We no longer have Daniel on this earth. We no longer have our son. And why? Because I was doing my job. We know what can happen. Yes, and we know what is happening. Protesters are getting away with intimidating Supreme Court justices outside their homes in violation of federal law. I wonder how President Biden would respond if these were conservatives protesting outside the homes of Kagan, Breyer, or Sotomayor in response to an expected anti-gun ruling. Well, the law applies to all, Mr. President. Demand a rest now before it's too late and another federal judge or their family members are hurt. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.